0: All right, well, all of our lives are made up of memories along that spectrum, if you will, right? And that list is a very poetic, you know, uh, paragraph. We thought about playing that classic Bird song this morning. We decided not to, for those of you who know that song. Um, It's pretty famous, right? And it's pretty profound in terms of its content and what it's saying There's a lot there we're going to dig into this morning. But just like any of you else in this room, my life is made up of some of the best memories. I mean, days when I just remember them and think about them. Just instant smiles, like instant joy. It's like, man, like, could could I relive that time? You know, like when I was a kid, we used to shoot the cow. This was down in Georgia, you know. My neighbor had cows, and we used to shoot them with BB guns. And just make them go crazy and just used to laugh until we were just like sweating almost, you know, like a gut. You know, then old man Smith would scream at us every single time. It was great, right? Fun memories. Some of you have silly memories like that as well. There's also those memories where you don't want to revisit. The memories that tears would be fresh even in the moment's notice by revisiting those difficult and hard times. But that is what it means to be human. But this is actually profound because what it's saying is there's a season for everything. What this paragraph is saying is that perhaps these things aren't random. That they happen in time and in season. And that perhaps there's some kind of threaded purpose beneath everything. And that's what we're going to explore this morning. Now this can be a classic Christian message that can be really abused. Okay, I'll I'll never forget, a a close childhood friend of mine uh, passed away, sadly, and um, lots of people came, it was like, oh, you know, the Lord has this for a reason, and, you know, the the anger of the Father was so present, he said, "If, if that's all you have to say at this moment, please leave, I need you to mourn with me, I need you to mourn with me. I don't want to say this message today as one, you know, because the Christians can, can abuse us. We can say, oh, yeah, everything, you know, goods come, come out of everything. So just pucker up, you know, like, no, that's, that's not quite how we face tragedy and hardship, okay? And that's kind of a summer for different days. So I'm not going the route of cheapening this conversation. Nevertheless, there's truth in that, that delicately we can embrace We can talk about, consider, that it won't cheapen the experience of suffering, but rather give us courage to face suffering, to actually embrace it and not sidestep it. So that's what this is going to be about today. So just a little recap the past few weeks. We've seen this teacher. uh, That's how he identifies himself. This teacher in Ecclesiastes give us kind of two visions of two different lives, a life under the sun, disconnected from God, that persistently struggles in finding meaning in all that is happening, that word habel, meaningless, out of reach, unable to understand, grasp, you know, extraordinarily hard, and the other life before God, where the mundane of eating and drinking and sleeping and working finds incredible beauty and purpose and power before God, and it's all made available to us through Jesus Christ, as the biblical story proceeds, and so today we're looking at Um, time in our lives, and trying to understand time and all that happens to them. Again, this sermon series is kind of those big existential questions. We all have them, and I would like to give this space in the beginning of the year for us to talk about these big questions, these hard, big questions. And so we're going to dive into this this morning. So he begins with a summary statement, kind of covering everything for our time in verse one. He says, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. There's a time for everything, a season, all has a, a, a time for that season, right? Unlike our past few chapters, he begins here with some encouragement, I think not so like meaningless, everything's meaningless, like he's not really quite going there quickly, Okay. Um, But even in his his encouragement, we're going to be able to trace some tension throughout this, right? But once again, if there is a time for everything, it would seem that those events are not random, right? That there's meaning sown beneath them, that things don't happen by accident, regardless of how good or how difficult they are. That these things don't occur by accident, and there's also going to need uh, a, a cry in these verses for, for wisdom. Because sometimes things happen that we have to respond to. That depending on the circumstance, your response may be different. And there's a season for those responses as well. Discernment, right? So this paragraph kind of covers all of those things. So the teacher begins with kind of guiding us through this. And so I want you this morning, a little exercise in your own minds. Think about as we walk through these things. What memory is attached to where in your own life, right? Is there something that you can identify with that you need to bring before the Lord and let the scriptures inform and help you process things? Right, and so um, as you're doing that, let's continue to work through this poem because it is a poem. So beginning in verse two, the on in verse two, he covers beginnings and endings. Beginnings and endings. There's a time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill, a time to heal, a time to tear down, and a time to build. Um, I planted kale late in the season last year and had a tremendous crop. um, And I kind of neglected it, forgot about it, and now it's bright yellow and disgusting. So there was a time to plant. Clearly, there's a time that I need to pull those plants out that I haven't done yet, and it's looking really bad. There's a time to plant and a time to uproot, right? Um, Beginnings and endings have a place in our lives right? As you start and you're a kid, as you get older and you face, um, unless the Lord tarries, you know, 100% of us will die. I don't know if you heard that recent statistic that it's all of us, right? It's all of us because we're humans. And that is coming too, but there's a time for those things, right? There's a time to embrace those things. I want to continue on here. Um, Secondly, he brings us to um, well, yeah, so, you know, a time to build and a time to tear down. Just thinking through some of these things in our life. Um, there's a house that we almost bought. I don't know how long ago this was. And some of you older people can help me understand why this was in this house. Um, the bathroom on the first floor was pink. When I say pink, I'm talking like the floor, the ceiling, the walls, the toilet, the bathtub, the tiles. I mean, everything. Everything. Later, somebody can tell me what season of, 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 you know, time of building homes where pink was like, this is awesome. This is a pink bathroom. Um, 60s, that's what, that was my guess too, right? Because I hear stories about the 60s that are interesting. Um, it's time for pink bathrooms to go, okay? Those are, those are gone. Time to rebuild the pink bathrooms, right? But again, putting things into perspective here. We continue on in verse 4. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain. These are the more emotional parts of our human existence, right? When I was a kid and shooting the cows and just, I don't know why we thought it was so funny, but it was hilarious. I can remember like pulling a muscle one day from laughing so hard. Right? You ever done that before? Where, like, your stomach is like, oh, I think I just, like, hurt myself. Like, you're just, like, belly laughing, you know? So hard. Um, the other times, when you're so overcome with grief that you wake up and there's tears, and you want to go to bed, and there's more tears, and you can't seem to escape that kind of grief, Right? There's um, times when holidays are are the best times ever where you just have such a good holiday with family and friends, and the same exact holiday a year or two or five years later becomes one of the most difficult parts of our year, but it's the same holiday, right? It's a time to dance a jig and a time to sit in mourning. Um, The scattering stones and gathering stones, just letting you know the scholarly consensus of the Hebrew phrase there is uh, we have no idea what that means, so... Sorry, if you learn what that means, go tell somebody because nobody knows what (laughs) he meant by that. So moving on, that happens very little in our scriptures, but sometimes we don't know, I don't know. So uh, he says a time for embracing, a time for not embracing, a time to give that hug or a handshake and a time to refrain from the hug or a handshake. And lastly, he goes into, in these verses here, he says um, uh, these are times when there's a need for wisdom a time to apply godly wisdom and discretion discernment, and how you respond to whatever life may bring at you here. In verse six, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. In all of these situations, one needs to understand, how do I respond here? When do you keep searching or decide to give up? I lost my car keys for the 116th time the past two years this week for like three days and actually found them again, right? I almost gave up, but I found them. Um, you need discernment to know when those things happen, right? Uh, he's, he's putting the opposite side by side. He's warning us to see both and know that either has a time in life. There's a time for these things, but there's a tension throughout this. There's a tension that's present throughout this, and the tension surfaces now in verse nine when he says, what does the worker gain from his toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on men beneath and within, and all of these memories, right, as time flies by, life happens, time goes by, he says, this is, it's a burden, these things, these opposites right? That, you know, beginnings and endings and these emotional things that happen in our life and the, the need for wisdom to respond to the difficulty uh, that, that comes to us in life. Um, it's a burden to face these things. God has laid on us as we live and breathe and it, it's, it's tough. This is not easy and there's the tension because we know it's a burden because beneath God we recognize that these things as we started with, there's some purpose. We'll see that in verse 11 here but What is the reason, right? We would all love to know that, especially in the moment. Something really hard happens, and you're like, man, it'd be great to know God. Like, why? Because this this doesn't fit. Like, if I was writing the story, like, I definitely would have left out this chapter. Like, why, Lord, why? But he zooms out, and he kind of tells us here in verse 11. He zooms out, the teacher zooms out, and as we're sitting in his classroom, this is what he has to say this morning, he has made everything beautiful in his time. He has made everything beautiful in his time. This verse is absolutely fascinating, okay? and I, I, Maybe this will work in terms of illustration, what I think he's trying to say. There's two views of life, kind of going along with the Ecclesiastes theme here. There's the, the NASCAR life and the yellow brick road life. Bear with me. The average NASCAR race is 400 miles in length. Do they they go 400 miles down the street? No. We're going in circles. They go a great distance, but in many circles. There's not exactly a destination. They cross the destination hundreds of times, however many laps there are, until that final line is actually the destination they're looking for. It's just a matter of how fast they get there. That's one view of life. There's, There's no real destination. We just one day have a final lap, but then life is over, okay? And that's the meaningless life that he talks about here in scripture. Or there's a yellow brick road view of life. We're reading The Wizard of Oz to our kids at nighttime, and it's really funny because they'd never seen the movie. I don't know why, that's how this happened. And when we start singing this, the first time I started singing one of the songs from the movie, they were like, did you just make up a song about The Wizard of Oz? And never thought like I was the weirdest person ever. And I'm like, you don't know the movie? And I realized, I haven't seen the movie. Anyhow, in the story, as we all know, there's a yellow brick road. And where does this road lead to? Come on. Yeah, Emerald City, the Wizard of Oz. Yes, there's a destination, right? You find the path. You walk the yellow brick road. Now the song's in your head. You're welcome. And as you're walking, there's an actual destination of where you're getting to. It's not like NASCAR. You don't walk in circles. They know where they're going. And along the way, there's all kinds of trials and adventures, you, you know. But there's an actual place that it's going to. There's a destination in mind. That's what verse 11, I think, is communicating to us. What is the destination? That in time, all that happens, everything is made beautiful. Everything that happens in our life has a destination and it's Beauty, says the author, the teacher here. Another translation put it this way God has made everything fit beautifully in its appropriate time. So, one other way of saying it is the destination of beauty comes at the right time. It's a well timed destination according to God's timing when we reach that, when we see that. If everything is made beautiful in time, you know what that means? There's hope. Hope that even in the bleakest of moments, there's a destination of redemption. That even in the greatest suffering in life, there's a destination of healing. That even when in our lives, these things are not resolved, that there is still a greater hope, bigger than all of us, that says, in fact, everything one day will be made beautiful, even this extraordinarily difficult thing that I have no idea how to understand Today, because I want you to think this through with me. Many forms of beauty can have a higher kind of permanence to it that time cannot remove. Um, nobody goes to the Great Pyramid 500 years ago, 1,000 years, last year, and say, These are ugly, these are awful. Like, what? We look at that and we see the scope and size. You're like, this is absolutely incredible. We have like thousand-year-old records of people seeing the pyramids and writing down the same kind of observations we do. That beauty transcends time for all people, from all cultures and races. If you go there, you'll gape at the size of the pyramids. That beauty has something more permanent attached to it. And verse 11 here kind of, I think, is communicating that, as we'll see right in the next verse here. It gives us remarkable hope that there's that kind of beauty available to us for all the things that happen in our life, that there's a destination of being made beautiful. He continues on in verse um, 11 here. He says, he also has set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and to do good while they live. That everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all of his toil because that's a gift from God. So he says there's eternity in our hearts. We've spoken of this many time many a time here on Sunday mornings about that eternal void, that eternal hole in our heart that only God can fill, but in all of these events of how He brings about beauty in everything, of why there is a time for everything here under the sun, we often can't fathom what God is doing in the midst of it. Right? We want to, we seek it. We we all have that experience. But He says we can't fathom what God has done from beginning to end. It's really hard what He is up to, often to understand. Right? But we find great hope in life that these things are. True, even while we're in the thick of it, but eternal perspective offers hope in the confusing times of the present. Um, kind of like this, right? If you watch a TV show and something happens, and then the, the episode's over, and you're like, that doesn't make any sense. And then you watch the next episode, you're like, well, that doesn't make any sense. And you keep going until the final episode, guess what happens? It's all resolved, right? It's all makes sense. It's like all oh, the pieces fit together. No, okay, now I understand everything. Um, that's kind of what is being communicated here. That in the episode of our life, there are sometimes those really wonderful events, happier than those confusing ones, that one day we're gonna see that final episode and say, that, it, all, I, it does kind of make sense. There's the beauty. There's what God's plan, really his sovereignty is there. And yes, he is a good God. That's what he was doing. But how do you live when you're in the episode that you don't see that resolution, right? How do we keep going within that? And that's what he moves forward towards here in verse 14. He says, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken away from it. God does it so that men will revere him. Some says fear him depending on your translation. Whatever it is already has been, and what will be has been before, and God will call the past into account. What God chooses and plans to do is going to happen. That's what the author is saying here. 1 First Samuel, First Samuel 15, 28 through 29 talks about God um, and his decision. You can read the story of what He was doing, but it, it, Samuel says, he's, he's not a man. Like, he doesn't make plans and say, like, oh, actually, uh, that was uh, let me change my mind here. Let me try this. Like, no, like, he knows what he's doing. He makes a plan and he follows through. He does it. Nobody can take God off of his will. What he has set his heart to, he will accomplish. That doesn't mean that we're going to understand that will at all, you know, all of the time. And therefore, there's a fear that the author points us toward here. When we see God's sovereignty in his will, we know we can't thwart it. And we have the confusion of all the times and things happening. We, hey, there's a time for all these things under the sun. There's a fear of God that stirs and develops and says, Man, God, I, I have nowhere else to go apart from you and casting all of my hope on you. That there is a season for this for a reason. My hope is set on you, that you will make this beautiful in time. My only hope is you. So do a little recap here before we get into kind of something that's, especially in the New Testament, surfaces that we can attach to that can really bring this home for us. There's three things that he's basically said so far. There's a time for everything beneath the sun, that God will make everything beautiful and it's time and even so we often have a hard time understanding God's work in all of that even as we long for a permanent eternal reality and number four that he is sovereign over it all he is sovereign over it all so in light of all that how do we live what does he say kind of like last week right when you're eating when you're drinking today like right now enjoy it enjoy it it's a similar response to last week, right? It'll be off and on. It'll surface continually throughout the book. Um, how do you find joy in today knowing all of these things? Because for some people, it spins them for like that existential crisis. Like, how do I grasp it? How do I understand God's sovereignty and all these difficult things in a season for you know, the hard things and the good things? Like, I thought you were a good God. Why does there have to be a season for hard things? Like How do I, how do I grasp all of these things and somehow like live today and find joy? Like How, how does this happen? There's a lot of mystery presented in this chapter. A lot of mystery here. And I think that's one thing about God that I never want to rob him of, and it's mystery. It's mystery. The second you try to put God in the box of complete understanding, I promise you that box is going to explode. God will always be mysterious to some degree. He's revealed so much to us But it's like me trying to communicate to a dog how Google works, can't. There's just two different levels of being and intelligence and consciousness there, right? So for God, he can communicate a lot to us, but there's always going to be something. That creature-creation distinction there, there's always going to be a mysterious element to God. Where the only answer is a word that starts with an F, and it's faith. It's faith. Faith. And I actually think on the first pages of our Bibles, that's always where God wanted us to live. When he put that tree, the knowledge of good and evil there. He says, there's stuff you're not going to understand here, knowledge that you're not going to be able to grasp. Do you trust me, being my creatures, and not try to take on the job or the roles of the creator as if you are God yourself? That was always the place God wanted us to be is a place of faith. To say, I don't understand, but I'm okay with that. And that's where sin sin came from. This is why it's all about faith, right? Faith that regardless of what happens, we have faith leading to the hope that God really is making beautiful, everything beautiful in time. Faith often may feel irrational, especially when that absolute crisis comes, but we still have reason to cling to faith in God. The situation was very very fascinating, very public, as most of us were aware when DeMar Hamlin collapsed, Buffalo Bills player, on the field mid-game. Millions watching. Um, the crisis hit, and what was the immediate response? Everybody's staring, especially as football players, especially as poor friends, like, helpless. What do you do? What was the first thing people started doing? Praying. Like, across the board. There wasn't even a question like, oh, should we pray? It was just, it, pray. Everybody pray. You saw players kneeling. Um fascinating thing is, just not that long ago, there was a coach, in, football coach in uh, Washington who was fired for praying on the field, for doing a public display of, you know, religion. It was even brought to the, to the Supreme Court. He was fired for praying on the field. Not when the crisis hit, when the crisis hit, our secular culture had nowhere to turn. There was nowhere to go. Secularism simply didn't deliver, and so prayer suddenly that was firing football coaches now became invited, saying, everybody, let's pray now. On the football field in front of millions of people on TV, let's pray, let's pray, let's pray. There was actually a, um, a, a sportscaster, Dan Orlovsky, who on, you know, as he was sportscasting, maybe some of you saw this prayer, he, he prayed. Pretty profound prayer, a prayer of hope, a prayer of just crying out to God, right? That he would bring healing and re- resolution to this. And one of his friends, named Nick, Nick Wright, who's another sportscaster, here's, here's what he had to say about his friend Dan and his prayer. He said, it made me a little envious in that moment because I am not a man of faith. Listen to the how, I love these rare moments when people just like are honest about things. This is just great. Maybe a little envious in that moment because I'm not a man of faith. And since I realized I didn't have a foundation or a higher purpose or something in the face of inexpressible tragedy, it left me flailing. And I was a little envious in that moment of my friend Dan's faith. And I've been envious ever since. Secularism did not provide any sort of hope in that situation, right? Rather than publicly criticizing prayer, it was invited. It's because there's only really one answer, and there's that natural yearning within us, right, when those things happen. And when we're brought to an end of our own efforts, that we can't fix things on our own, there's a natural inclination within all people to cry out to something outside of ourselves that says there must be help from the outside available. And that is just a basic exercise of faith. In Scripture, it says the righteous shall live by faith. That's the prophet Habakkuk said, Paul later quoted that the righteous shall live by faith. Not do one thing in faith or one exercise in faith. No, 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 like this is life. Life is faith. Every day, all day, faith is how we live. In fact, that is how righteousness is given to us through faith. It's the only path that can ultimately make sense in this life. To live by faith means that as we experience this, the times for everything in this life, then in the joys and suffering there's a faith that says God is sovereign, Beauty's coming somehow, some way. and my heart yearns and yearns for that eternal peace where everything is made right. In the meantime, I am going to pray before God and seek it and hope, hope which is faith in action, and say I don't have any other hope. The Psalms are filled with those kind of resolution, those cries. Psalm 37 9 says, and now, O Lord, in the midst of their crisis, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Hope is powerful. There's an amazing story. I told you I'll be quoting Viktor Frankl off and on throughout this sermon series. He was um, a survivor, brilliant psychologist, uh, who survived the concentration camps beneath the Nazis. In his book, Man's Search for Meaning, he wrote of a story where in February 1945 a man came to him. They all knew this guy was, you know, the brilliant scholar guy that was working beside them, so he found himself, you know, doing a lot of counseling and trying to help people um, survive. And a man came to him and said, I had a dream, doctor, I had a dream that on March 30th, or March 13th, excuse me, um, no, it is 30th, 1945, we're going to be liberated. The war is on the end, we're going to be liberated. I had a dream, it's going to happen. As time continued on, the conditions worsened in the camp, March 30th, it came and It went. And he said, as I observed this date coming and the obvious, you know, further intensity of our situation, he said, I saw the man get sicker and sicker and sicker, where on March 31st, he didn't wake up, he died. And he saw the situations over and over and over where these men in this concentration camp, when they would lose hope, they would quickly, afterwards, they would die. And the point of that story is the role of hope in our human condition. The man had a false hope in a date based on the dream. When he lost that hope, he had nothing there to live for. The only way all of this can be embraced in Ecclesiastes 3 is hope. But we have a really good reason. This isn't just blind faith. This isn't irrational faith or blind hope. There's really good reason for hope. If we go to the New Testament, right, to revisit once again the story of Christ who was born into this world, who experienced every season under the heavens, right, as Hebrews tells us, and he was nailed to a cross claiming that his death would actually be salvation, his death would be our ransom, his death would be on our behalf for the transgressions of all who had faith in him, that his death would actually have Cosmic implications on the world history scene, and would provide hope for all who were called by God and embraced this man in faith and allegiance, and gave their loyalty of their life to Him. Out of the death of Christ, there was the beauty of the empty grave. There was life out of death, and the life of Christ then becomes a kind of prototype, if you will, of our own. That often, like us as he experienced the worst that life had to offer in this broken world, but he conquered it through the resurrection. He conquered it through the resurrection. resurrection. And it is by, the faith that we, by that faith that we face whatever time and seasons before us, knowing that there was an empty grave on Easter, and that was just the first seed of our own resurrection. The first event of a promised future where all things will be made right. A, just a, a little seed, a little glimpse, his resurrection, just a little glimpse of when he returns to this world where all the the hardship and, and suffering and difficulties and confusing things will be forever gone from this world. And this impacts how we live today, I'm going to look at this scripture here in 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 10 from the Apostle Paul. This is how he, he talks about this. I think this is really good, uh, well-related to our passage this morning. He says this, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal into heaven's. For in this tent, and that's our bodies, the idea of a tent, right, is something temporary. You don't live in a tent permanently. You're you're pitching that just for a season. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked or in shame, right? For while we are still in this tent, we groan, be in burden, not that we would be unclothed, that we would be further clothed, right? The temporary life of Christ became the imperishable, resurrected life. That's the groanings that we have. He says, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. That's his solution. Like today, Because of those things that are true, today, now, we're of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, regardless we make it our aim to please him for we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. This is coming from a man who saw uh, such punishment and just torture for his faith in Christ and for spreading, spreading the good news of the gospel. So when he speaks of courage, this is not empty courage. Like this is real life stuff coming from a man in spent many days in jail, many days in prison, shipwrecked, et cetera, and so forth, missing many meals, gone hungry, experienced homelessness, and on and on and on. He says, we're of good courage in our faith, in our hope of what God has and the beauty that he can bring from our temporal circumstances in this fallen world that one day everything will be swallowed up in life. That the resurrection and its eternal permanence will swallow up all times and seasons in this world and in our lives and that the spirit given to us today is a guarantee of that age that is to come. It's a guarantee that when he heals, when he empowers, when he fills us today, we're getting more seas and more glimpses of that age that is to come. And because of all of these things, Paul says, we have courage. We have good courage courage, not just any courage, like really good courage to face the seasons that we are in today, walking by faith and not by sight. Because what's in sight sometimes can be hard to look at. But what's in faith is that empty tomb. So this morning as we, um, as we close, I think this is kind of the apex of, 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 of maturity in our faith. It really is. Uh, Bill Oakley shared a quote that I forgot how he phrased it. It was better than how I'm going to say it, but maybe it's Bill. Somebody shared a quote with me this week that said, you know, true maturity in Christ is when there's a, a joy that is present regardless of circumstances, that sustains us through, that regardless of how hard things might get that we're not shaken by them, That's the courage Paul is talking about. And the question would be before us this morning, are you of good courage this morning? Right? Ecclesiastes 3, in this passage in 2 Corinthians, is it teaching us to pray to escape the hard things in life? It's saying, no, there's a season. One day there's beauty coming from it. God is sovereign. Do you believe it? Do you embrace it? Do you hope in that? It takes courage to say things like what Job said. The Lord gives and takes away. Somebody finish it for me. But blessed be the name of the Lord. It takes great courage to say what Psalm 119 verse 71 says. This is one of the hardest verses in scripture. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Whew. I always read that and get a little sweaty. I mean, seriously though. It's like, I don't want to have to go through what that person went through to be able to say that. Like, they really persevered through, I'm sure, some really hard stuff to be able to say that was actually kind of good. I see what happened to me through it. Like, it was good that I was afflicted. Whew, that's hard. But if there is beauty coming in God's good timing, through the promise of the res- resurrection by the help of the Spirit, we may be able to say the same things. I'm gonna call the worship team up right now as we, uh, as we close this morning. We covered a lot of ground this morning. Um, if there's anything the Spirit was stirring in your heart, um, we don't have people available for prayer up here, we encourage you, please deal with what the Lord may have been speaking to you and stirring in you this morning. Um, we had some people praying before service, and um, they believe the Lord uh, showed this to them, and I'm going to say this as well, that um, God knows there's somebody in this room this morning It needs healing from relational offenses, deep resentment in a relationship or maybe relationships in their life, and that forgiveness is what you need to grasp onto this morning. If that is you in this room, please come forward or deal with that this morning. And also, that maybe somebody in this room has just been throwing up a secret life under a rug. That you've just been living some secret life, just hiding it and hiding it and hiding it. And God is telling you this morning, it's time for that to be exposed. So if that is you this morning, would you please come forward? Would you please face that? Um, Jesus, we... You know, Paul would pray prayers to things like, Lord, you know, he he would say, uh, through your spirit, reveal to us just the, the love that you have for us, because the love you have for us, it needs to be revealed to us because it's beyond our comprehension. It needs a supernatural revelation to us because we don't grasp your love, Lord. It's so hard to understand the heights and the depths and the widths of your love that you have for us. And Lord, as this human life is confusing, it's difficult, there's so much mystery wrapped in you, Lord, I just ask that this morning, Then, in spite of the confusion and the mystery of the times and the seasons that comes, Lord, Reveal your love for us. Reveal your sovereignty to us, your glory to us this morning. And may we just grab it, lunge out at it, reach it, hold on to it, cling to it. For as that psalmist said, where else would we turn? Where else is our hope? Lord, for the person that is sitting in this room just, just resisting, responding to you and just resisting and just hearing your voice speak so loudly to them and they're just like squirming and just trying to push it down, Lord, break them this morning that they may see you and know how much that you love them. They may just cry out to you, Lord. Because we need you. We're frail, Lord. As Moses said, don't forget our frailty, Lord. We, we need you, Lord. We need you, Jesus. Yes, remind us that we are but dust, but Lord, remind us that you are eternal and we have an eternal future with you. So Lord, meet us here as we respond to your word this morning. We thank you so much for the gospel that our sins are washed away, that you arose, you you broke out of that grave on our behalf, Lord, and that we have such hope to cling to, Lord. We pray this in your name, amen.